0: I would like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are currently doing a study on the biblical festivals. This is going to be our last session on the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost. The title for this message is Shavuot, a Change of Heart. In this session, we are going to learn the following. Number one, that the rabbis teach that the God of Israel married the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. Number two, we're going to learn that the rabbis teach that the house of Jacob is like an adulterous wife unto the God of Israel. Number three, we're going to learn that the church was actually born at Mount Sinai and is reborn at Mount Zion. Number four, we're going to learn the difference between the original covenant that was made with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai and the renewed covenant that is also associated with the house of Jacob but the redeemed house of Jacob and its link to Mount Zion. We are going to learn what a stony heart is and we are going to study the parable of the sower as it relates to understanding the stony heart. We're going to conclude the message by looking at the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion and we're going to finally learn that the festival of Shavuot is among other things related or associated with the renewed covenant and having a change of heart. In beginning the teaching we based upon last week Teaching, And in last week's teaching, we covered that when Yeshua died on the tree, that he died the death of the penalty of an adulterous woman. So we're going to begin this week's session by looking at Jewish sources that actually explain to us that there is a marriage relationship between the God of Israel and his people and we're going to see how the rabbis see that the house of Jacob the wife of the God of Israel ultimately fell into spiritual adultery to begin with we are going to look at a quote from the book In the Garden of Torah by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. And this is a commentary on the Torah portion, Tazriah. This comes from page 163 in the book. It says, One of the analogies used to describe the relationship between God and the Jewish people, and where it is written, Jewish people, we understand that it is actually the house of Jacob is a love between a man and a woman the love between the jews or the house of jacob and the god of israel is a complex dynamic union the holy one blessed be he and israel are one they are joined in an ardent bond indeed The prophet Isaiah uses the simile, Your maker is your husband or your mate. This comes from Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 5. Now, looking at the Torah anthology, specifically book 1 on the 12 prophets, and commenting about Hosea in chapter 2 on page 54 in the Torah anthology it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 4 the Torah says Moses commanded us a law and an inheritance of the congregation of Jacob the sages expound Do not read inheritance in the the Hebrew word for inheritance, but read betrothed. And the difference between the Hebrew word inheritance and the Hebrew word betrothed is one letter. And that one letter is the Hebrew letter aleph. So that one letter changes the meaning from inheritance to betrothed. So therefore they say don't read it as inheritance or there's a greater and deeper meaning besides inheritance. It is also thematically related and connected to betroths. The Torah is Israel's betrothed. The Torah is the ketubah or the marriage contract between the God of Israel and his people. And last week we explain that it was actually Yeshua who gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. When a man betroths a woman, he has gained no advantage by the act of betrothal, for she remains forbidden to him. In other words, it is in the second step where the consummation of the marriage takes place. During betrothal, you don't physically live and dwell with your mate even though you're betrothed, which is a legal marriage, she's forbidden to him until after he will have married her under the wedding canopy. There is this, however, that she is reserved for him alone. A Arusa cannot marry another without first being divorced. God's choice of Israel is likened to a betrothal. As it says again and again, I am the Lord who consecrates you, Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 8. It is a full-fledged betrothal. When a woman is consecrated to a particular man by an act of betrothal, she is forbidden to others. Similarly, one may not benefit from something which has been consecrated to the sacred domain or the holy temple. Figuratively speaking, the scripture conveys that God has forbidden us to consort with other deities. Forbids us to have other relationships with other deities. In other words, not worship other gods. As it says in the Torah, and I have set you apart from the peoples, meaning the gods that the other peoples worship. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26. Now, from the Art Scroll of the Twelve Prophets, Volume 1, and commenting about the book of Hosea and the symbolism that is associated with Hosea uh, marrying Gomer, who is regarded as being a whorish woman. Hosea's book starts with God's command to marry a loose woman. It symbolizes, the deteriorating, it symbolizes the deteriorating relationship between God and Israel over the years from Sinai to the time of the prophet. The original closeness between them is described allegorically in Sher HaSharim or the Song of Songs. Lyrically, it describes the ecstatic relationship of a loving bride and groom, and our sages compare the Revelation at Sinai to a marriage ceremony. But many years of sin have changed that. God's command that Hosea marry a faithless woman and have children by her symbolized the degradation of a union that had become worthless by Hosea's time, yet... In spite of this, God refused to reject his people totally and told Hosea to pray for them. There is also a reference to this thought from the Talmud in Pesahim 87b. Now, in the art scroll of Sher HaSharim, or the Song of Songs, in the introduction to the book, the following comment is made. The prophets frequently likened the relationship between God and Israel to that of a loving husband, angered by a straying wife who betrayed him. Solomon composed Sher HaSharim, or the Song of Songs, in the form of that same allegory. It is a passionate dialogue between the husband, God, we understand it from a previous teaching, it's actually Yeshua the Messiah, who still loves his exiled wife, that is Israel, the house of Jacob, and a veritable widow of a living husband, Second Samuel chapter 20 verse 3, who longs for her husband and seeks to endear herself to him once more as she recalls her youthful love for him and admits her guilt. God too is afflicted by her afflictions. Isaiah sixty three verse nine and he recalls the kindness of her youth, her beauty, and her skillful deeds for which he loved her. He proclaimed that he has not afflicted her capriciously. Lamentations chapter three, verse thirty three, nor is she cast away permanently. For she is still his wife, and he is still her husband, and he will yet return to her. Next is from the Torah Anthology on the Twelve Prophets, book 1. Commenting about Hosea in chapter 3 and verse 1 on page 60, it says... She is like a woman beloved by her husband who commits adultery. Yet, though she betrays him, his love for her is so great that he refuses to banish her. The children of Israel are God's greatly beloved people, yet they stray after other gods. From these commentaries, what we see the rabbis explaining is that there is a marriage relationship between the God of Israel and his people. And we explained that um, in a previous session, that in truth, it is Yeshua who is married unto the house of Jacob. Now, the rabbis, in commenting about this marriage relationship, acknowledges that the house of Jacob went after other gods, and the prophets described them in doing so as being an adulterous wife. Next, what we are going to examine is, we are going to read from Numbers in chapter 5, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, we're going to see what is required of a wife who is suspected of adultery. After we read what the Torah says regarding what would be done unto a wife suspected of adultery, we are then going to look at the rabbinic commentary from Midrash Rabbah on these same verses, and we're going to see how every phrase From Numbers chapter 5 verse 11 through the end of the chapter, every phrase they relate it and associate it with the God of Israel's relationship unto his wife, the house of Jacob. So here is what it says in Numbers chapter 5 beginning in verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner, And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, And he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel... And of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have it in his hand, the bitter water that causes the curse and the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with you, and if you have not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of your husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if you have gone aside to another instead of your husband, and if you be defiled and some man have lain with you beside your husband, Then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, when the Lord does make your thigh to rot and your belly to swell. And this water that causes the curse shall go into your bowels to make your belly to swell and your thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse. And the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then shall the priest take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar." And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar. And afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies when a wife goes aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he be jealous over his wife and shall Set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. So that is what the Torah says about a wife suspected of adultery. What we are going to do now, we're going to take every little phrase of what we just read and we're going to see how every little phrase that the rabbis associates it to the nation of Israel in the context of their relationship, their marriage relationship with the God of Israel. This is going to come from the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah. On the book of Numbers, in the section that specifically makes comment on Numbers chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, a wife suspected of adultery. Here is what the Midrash Rabbah says regarding those verses. Here is an exposition of the text. If any man's wife go aside, that is Numbers chapter 5, verse 12, the rabbis interpreted the verses as alluding to the incident of the golden calf. Man here refers to the Holy One, blessed be He, that is the God of Israel, who was is called man, as is proved by the verse, The Lord is a man of war, Exodus chapter 15, and verse 3. If a wife go aside, this refers to Israel, who turned aside from following him, as you read, they have turned aside quickly. Exodus chapter 32 verse 8, referring to the incident of the golden calf, which the Aramaic version translates, they have acted as a faithless wife quickly. They are called his wife, for it says... And it shall be at that day, says the Lord, that you shall call me my husband, Hosea chapter 2 verse 18. Likewise, it says, sanctify them today and tomorrow, Exodus chapter 19 verse 10. You shall be holy, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2, and act unfaithfully against him. Numbers chapter 5 verse 12. This refers to their breach of faith in committing idolatry. As you read, to break faith with the Lord in the matter of Peor. That is Numbers chapter 31 verse 16. And if a man lie, Numbers chapter 5 verse 13. This alludes to Aaron who made the calf for them. A lying seed, for this was the manner in which it was worshipped. They made their seed pass through the fire before it, as you read, and you shall not give any of your seed to set them apart to Molech. That is Leviticus in chapter 18 and verse 21. And if it be hid from the eyes of her husband and it be hidden, Numbers chapter 5 verse 13, heaven forbid, they imagined in their own minds that the eye of him on high did not see them. As you read, and they said, The Lord will not see. And this comes from the book of Psalms. And it says thick clouds are a covering to him that he sees not job chapter 22 verse 14 and it be hid from him in the same strain you read woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the lord isaiah chapter 29 and verse 15 Then, in Numbers 5, it says that if she bring defiled, in the same strain you read, their way was before me as the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 17. And if it be that there be no witness against her, signifies that there was no prophet among them who could warn them, as you read. The Lord forewarned Israel and Judah by the hand of every prophet and of every seer. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. For they had already slain her because he reproved them. Neither she be seized. No. For they acted of their own free will, and therefore they were punished. And it is written in Numbers five fourteen, if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, Exodus chapter twenty, verse five, and he be jealous of his wife, as you read, go get you down for your people, they have dealt corruptly. Exodus in chapter thirty two verse seven. And if it is the case that she is defiled, because it also says there that they worshipped it, and they've sacrificed unto it. Exodus in chapter 32, verse 8. Numbers 5, it says, If the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, for there were many righteous among them, but the Holy One, blessed be he, was incensed against them all intending to consume the good with the bad as it says now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them that i may consume them exodus chapter 32 verse 10 in numbers five it goes on to say then shall the man bring i.e that's the holy one blessed be he he brought his wife that is israel unto the priest that was moses who was the priest All the seven days of consecration of whom it says Moses and Aaron among his priests from the book of Psalms. What is meant here by bringing he brought their case to the notice of Moses for he told him go get you down for your people have dealt corruptly. Exodus in chapter 32, verse 7. And shall bring her offering for her. This alludes to the fact that he gave Moses at that time two tables of testimony, as it says. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of speaking with him, the two tables. Exodus in chapter 31, verse 18. That you are to bring a tenth part of an ephah. This alludes to the fact that the Ten Commandments were inscribed upon them. You are to bring it a barley meal. For an account of the iniquity of idolatry, Israel became like a meal, a barley meal. As you read, take the millstones and grind meal. Then this comes from the book of Isaiah. And the Holy One, blessed be He, scattered them with whirlwind among the nations. For in the commandment you shall have no other gods, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. There is an allusion to the four empires, the four kingdoms who would take the nation of Israel into captivity. It says in Numbers 5, and he shall pour no oil upon it. For the Holy One, blessed be, he said to Moses, Now therefore let me alone, nor shall you put frankincense thereon. And you read, he said, let me alone. Deuteronomy and chapter 9, verse 14. Meaning that he should not remind him of the merit of the patriarchs, nor of the merit of the matriarchs. For it says in Numbers 5 that it's to be a meal offering of jealousy. And so you read, From Exodus chapter 32 verse 9, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. It is a meal offering of memorial in Numbers 5. For in the virtue of the commandment you shall have no other gods, Israel will have a claim to be remembered favorably as exterminators of idolatry, as it says, and showing mercy unto the thousandth generation. That is Exodus chapter 20 verse 6. In Numbers five fifteen it says you're to bring iniquity to remembrance for those who go astray after it as it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, Exodus chapter twenty, verse five. And the priest shall bring her near Numbers chapter five verse fifteen. This means that he, Moses, prayed for them as you read, and Moses besought the Lord. Exodus chapter thirty two verse eleven. And "...set her before the Lord, tells us that the Holy One, blessed be He, pardoned them and promised that He would not destroy them all, as you read, and the Lord repented of the evil." Exodus chapter 32 verse 14. goes on to say in Numbers chapter 5 verse 17, "...and the priest shall take," the priest refers to Moses, "...he will take holy water." For the sanctification of the name of the Holy One, blessed be He. Hence it is written, and I took the calf and beat it in pieces, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. Deuteronomy chapter nine verse twenty-one. You are to take it and put it in an earthen vessel. Numbers chapter five verse seventeen. Just as an earthen vessel does not admit. Of purification After it has been defiled, so there was no remedy for all those who went astray with the calf, for they all perished. And of the dust, this alludes to the dust of gold which she had ground, as you read, and ground it to powder, Exodus chapter 32, verse 20. Then you are to take it that is on the floor of the tabernacle, or the mishkan, for owing to the calf, Israel who had worshipped it... Sank as low as the floor and became pledges in the hands of death. The priest, that is Moses, shall take, and put it into the water, as you read, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. Deuteronomy chapter nine verse twenty one. And the priest that is Moses, shall set the woman before the Lord. That is from Numbers chapter 5 verse 18. The meaning of it is this. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Exodus chapter 32 verse 26. And then, and let the hair of the woman's head go loose. This alludes to when Moses saw that the people were broken loose, for Aaron had made them loose, as it says in Exodus 32 verse 25. At that instant, leprosy broke out on them, and you may infer from the verse, and the leper, the hair of his head, shall go loose. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45. And put the meal offering of memorial in her hand, implies that he admonished them with regard to the Torah which they had received, that if they were worthy, it would serve to keep their name in favorable remembrance. And because they had transgressed, it became a meal offering of jealousy. The Torah became a meal offering of jealousy. And the priest, namely Moses, shall have in his hand the water of bitterness that causes the curse. Scripture teaches you that through the instrumentality of Moses, the water of the brook turned bad. goes on to say in Numbers 5.19, The priest shall cause her to swear. This alludes to the oath which he made them take that they would observe the Torah as you read. Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. Exodus and chapter 24, verse 8. Covenant meaning nothing else but an oath. Moses said to them, If you have kept the oath of the covenant, i.e., if no man has lain with you, that is, if you don't worship other gods, That is, if you have not gone astray after idolatry and have not bowed down to it, and if you have not gone aside, if you had not sacrificed impurely and have not made merry before the calf, be thou free from this water of bitterness. In accordance with that, you read, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, I will put none of the diseases of Egypt upon you. Exodus chapter 15 verse 26. If you have gone aside, Numbers chapter 5 verse 20, the meaning of it is, this alludes to the one who sacrificed to the calf. If you have gone aside includes one who burnt incense to it. If you be defiled means one who poured out a libation to it. And if you be defiled alludes to one who bowed down to it. And some men have lain with you alludes to one who acknowledged it as his deity and said, You are my God. All these are cases where there were witnesses, but no warning. Then, the priest shall cause the woman to swear. Numbers chapter 5 verse 21. The meaning in accordance with this you read, that you should enter into covenant of the Lord your God and unto his oath. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 11. Covenant denotes an oath, as you may infer from the text, because there... They swore both of them, so they made a covenant at Beersheba. Genesis in chapter 21, verse 31 and following. But where can we infer that they had taken an oath of cursing at Sinai? From the fact that is written, These are the words of the covenant besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Deuteronomy in chapter... 28 verse 69 thus the covenant at Horeb is compared to the covenant in the land of Moab as there it was accompanied by cursing so here it was accompanied by cursing which is the covenant at Horeb but if you will not hearken unto me Leviticus chapter 26 verse 14 and following and the priest Namely, Moses shall say unto the woman, from Numbers chapter 5, the meaning of it is this, The Lord shall make you a curse and an oath. This alludes to the curses in Leviticus. And the water that causes the curse shall go into, that is Numbers chapter 5 verse 22, this water alludes to the water of the brook into which Moses cast the dust of the gold of the calf, And Moses solemnly warned them by all that they had undertaken at Sinai that the water would test them. Three times is the expression, shall go into, used here as an allusion to the three ways in which the worshippers of the calf were sentenced to be punished to wit by the sword, by the water ordeal, and by the plague. It says in Numbers 5, And you shall make your belly to swell and your thigh to fall away. This teaches that Aaron, the paramour, was punished with them, as it says, The Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. Deuteronomy in chapter 9, verse 20. The phrase, to have destroyed him, alludes to the death of one's children, as you read. I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Amos in chapter 2 verse 9. Aaron deserved that all of his children should die, but Moses prayed for him and only 2 died in fulfillment of the two curses stated here. In Numbers 5 it says, "And you shall make your belly to swell and your thigh to fall away." But how do we know what scripture speaks of the death of one's children? because it is written in psalms the fruit of your womb is a reward and it also says the fruit of your belly Deuteronomy in chapter 28 verse 4 and also the soul that came out of her loins of Jacob Exodus chapter 1 verse 5 and two of Aaron's children remained likewise when it says for every manner of transgression That is Exodus chapter 22 verse 8. It alludes to Aaron who had caused Israel to transgress against the commandment that you shall have no other gods. Found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. For ox, Exodus chapter 32 verse 8, alludes to the text in which you read, Thus they have exchanged their glory for the likeness of an ox. And this comes from the book of Psalms again. For a donkey alludes to the Egyptians who are called donkeys, as you read, whose flesh is as the flesh of a donkey, Ezekiel in chapter 23, verse 20. It was they who had enticed Israel to make the calf. For sheep, this alludes to Israel who had gone astray after the calf and who are called sheep, as you read, Israel is a scattered sheep, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 17. For raiment alludes to having made the calf king over them, as you may infer from the text, you have a mantle, be thou our ruler, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 6. For any manner of lost things indicates that they had canceled what they had promised at Sinai, where they said in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Whereof one says, this is it, Exodus chapter twenty two, verse eight. For Aaron had said of the calf, These are your gods. Exodus and chapter thirty two, verse eight. The cause of both parties shall come before God. Exodus chapter twenty two, verse eight. That is speaking of Moses, who was called God, as it says, See, I have set you as a God before Pharaoh. That is Exodus chapter seven, verse one. He whom God shall condemn. Exodus chapter 22, verse 8, again alludes to Moses. For the written form is, N shall pay double unto his neighbor. This alludes to Aaron's two sons, whom he gave as payment to the Holy One, blessed be he. The friend, literally neighbor of Israel, for they died. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Numbers, chapter 5, verse 22. The woman alludes to Israel who answer, Amen, after the curse against idolatry. As you read, Cursed be the man that makes a graven or molted image, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And this comes from Deuteronomy, chapter 27, verse Fifteen. Why say amen twice in allusion to the specific curse and to the general curse as you read? Cursed be he that confirms not the words of this Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 26. Now it says, And the priest, namely Moses, shall write these curses in a scroll. This alludes to the table on which it was written, from Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 of the 10 commandments visiting the iniquity of the fathers but did he write them did not the holy one blessed be he write them yes but because Israel had erred the holy one blessed be he did not give them to anyone but to Moses as you read and he gave unto Moses Exodus and chapter 31 verse 18 and for this reason they are called after his name as if he had himself written them why was the table called a scroll because it could be rolled up like a scroll and he shall blot them out into the water of bitterness for on account of Israel's iniquity he broke the tables and the writing flew away from them and for that obliteration of writing Israel Drank the water as their punishment. Numbers chapter 5 verse 24 says, And he shall make the woman drink. This alludes to what you read in Exodus chapter 32 verse 20. And he made the children of Israel to drink. Therefore he tested them like suspected wives who commit adultery. Numbers chapter 5 verse 25 says, "...and the priest shall take the meal offering of jealousy, namely, meaning, the tables which the Holy One, blessed be he, sent them, out of the woman's hand. He took them away from them, because he did not wish to give it to them, and shall wave the meal offering before the Lord. This means or indicates that he returned the writing on the tables to its original place." And you shall bring it unto the altar. This alludes to the tables which he broke at the foot of the mountain, as you read. And he cast the tables out of his hand and broke them beneath the mount. Exodus in chapter 32 and verse 19. That is, on the spot where the altar... Was which Moses had built at the foot of the mount in preparation for receiving of the torah, as you read, and builded an altar under the mount. Exodus, in chapter thirty four, verse four. And it says in Numbers five twenty six that the priest shall take a handful of the meal offering. The meaning of it is this. This alludes to Moses based upon his plea for Israel upon what was written in the tables and showing mercy unto the thousandth generation of them that love me. Exodus chapter twenty verse six. Moses in effect pleaded, Surely the patriarchs have loved you, showing mercy to them and spare their children. Accordingly it is written. Remember Abraham, Exodus in chapter 32, verse 13. And afterward shall make the woman drink. After he had offered supplication for them and had removed the anger from his countenance, as you read, and Moses turned away God's anger and went down. Then he tested them like a wife suspected of adultery and made them drink the bitter water. Then it shall come to pass, it says in Numbers chapter 5, verse 27, that if she be defiled and have acted unfaithfully against her husband, that the water shall enter. When they drank of it, they were tested, and all the sinners died violent deaths. A Roman lady asked Rabbi Eleazar, How is it then that only one sin had been committed in connection with the calf, but they died three kinds of deaths? He said to her, Women have no wisdom except at the distaff, for it is written, and the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands. Exodus in chapter 35:25. 25. Said Herkanas, because he did not answer her one thing from the Torah, she deprived him of 300 quart of tithe annually. Said the other to him, Let the words of the Torah be burned rather be entrusted to women. Oh, how do you like that statement? When he, Hircanus, departed, Rabbi Eliezer's pupils said to him, Master, you fended off this woman with a reed, but what answer are you going to give to us? Rabbi Berakiah said of Abba, son of Kahana, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, Any sinner who had witnesses and a warning died at the hands of the court, the one who had witnesses but no warning were tested like a suspected wife. One against whom there were neither witnesses nor a warning died by the plague. Rob and Levi, son of Sisi, both said that if he sacrificed, offered incense, and poured out a libation, he died by the hands of the court. If he clapped his hands, danced, and was merry, he was tested like a suspected wife. And if he was glad in his heart, he died by the plague. It goes on to say in Numbers chapter 5 verse 27, And the woman shall be a curse among her people. But her people were well, for they, the sinners, were punished, but the rest escaped. And if the woman be not defiled, Numbers chapter 5, verse 28, this alludes to those who are righteous and yet drank. But be clean, this alludes to the tribe of Levi. Then she shall be cleared alludes to the Levites who were privileged to perform the service of the sanctuary for this reason, all their actions being in cleanliness." And shall conceive seed. This alludes to the righteous Israelites whose seed entered the promised land. As you read. And I will sow her unto me in the land. Hosea chapter 2 verse 25. And for whom the Holy One blessed be he did what he had promised Abraham. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed. Exodus chapter 32 verse 13. For in fact. After the incident of the calf, it is written, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Depart, go up here unto the land of which I swore unto Abraham. That is Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. This is the law of jealousies. Numbers chapter 5 verse 29. Thus said the Holy One, blessed be he, the law of jealousy against idolatry shall remain in force forever, so that in the same way as the Holy One, blessed be he, had exacted punishment from the worshippers of the calf in his jealousy, so he would exact punishment in future generations. In this strain it says, They have roused me to jealousy with no God. They have provoked me with their vanities. Deuteronomy and chapter 32 And verse 21, it goes on to say in Numbers, in chapter 5, When a wife goes aside, in the text that the wife that committed adultery has taken strangers instead of her husband, that comes from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 32, The prophet rebuked them for serving idols instead of the Holy One, blessed be he. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man, Numbers 5, verse 30. Moses prophesied that the Holy One, blessed be he, would at some future time be jealous against them. And for this reason, he wrote at the beginning of the section, And the spirit of jealousy has passed over him. For he speaks an allusion to the jealousy aroused by the calf which had passed, while at the conclusion it is written, The spirit of jealousy shall pass. For he speaks of the future, and he be jealous over his wife. This occurred in the days of Ezekiel when Israel worshipped idols, and the Holy One, blessed be he, was jealous against them and said, Then said he unto them, Son of man, lift up your eyes now the way toward the north, So I lifted up my eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward of the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry, which is Ezekiel in chapter 8, verse 5. Then shall he set the woman before the Lord, alludes to the fact that Ezekiel rebuked them for this in order to make them return to the Holy One, blessed be he, but to no avail. And the priest, that is Ezekiel, shall execute upon her all this law. This implies that he and Jeremiah prophesied against them that punishment would come upon them as it came upon Israel in the wilderness. On account of the incident of the calf, and that punishment actually came upon them in their day. You find that when they worshipped the calf, they died by the sword. Likewise in the days of these priests it is written concerning them, and such as are for the sword to this sword. And this comes from the book of Jeremiah. For worshipping the calf they died violent deaths, and likewise in the day of Jeremiah they shall die of grievous deaths. For worshiping the calf, they died by the pestilence, as it says. And the Lord plagued the people. Exodus in chapter 32, verse 35. And in the days of Jeremiah, likewise, such as are for the pestilence. For the pestilence, in connection with the calf, it is written, in the day when I visit. And that is in Exodus. And in the days of Ezekiel is written, cause ye them that have charge over the city to draw near. Ezekiel in chapter 9 verse 1. For this reason it says, and the priest shall execute upon her all this Torah, and the man shall clear from iniquity. Numbers chapter 5 verse 30. This alludes to the Holy One, blessed be He, who will cleanse Israel so that they may not commit any more iniquity before Him. For thus He told them by the hand of Ezekiel, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you. That is Ezekiel 36 verse 25. And a new heart will I give you. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, which is associated with the Feast of Israel. Pentecost, it's all about having a new heart, a change of heart. And I will put my spirit within you. That's Acts chapter two. He gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I will save you from your uncleanness. Ezekiel chapter thirty six twenty nine. And that woman shall bear her iniquity. Numbers chapter five verse thirty one alludes to the text. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Ezekiel in chapter 36 and verse 32. Moreover, As the Holy One, blessed be He, pardoned them for the sin of the calf, and was reconciled to them, and dwelt among them, and brought them into the land, so Ezekiel prophesied, would the Holy One, blessed be He, ultimately do again, as it says in saying to them, Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will take... Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols. My dwelling place also shall be over them, that I am the Lord that sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. That is Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 21 through 28. So I wanted to share this with you because in our last session we looked at the fact that Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai and that his wife the house of Jacob committed adultery against him and this is why Yeshua had to die on the tree he identified with his adulterous wife and he took upon her punishment when he died on the tree and thus died the death of the penalty of an adulterous woman since this is not an understanding that is readily known in traditional Christianity I wanted to share with you from the rabbinic sources that they definitely see that there's a marriage relationship and that the house of Jacob committed adultery. If we can take these principles and apply them to Yeshua, we can get the fullness of the picture of things. Now let's continue on in our studies of Shavuot or the Feast of Pentecost. And we want to reiterate which was said in a previous session that the church was actually born at mount sinai we are told this in acts in chapter 7 verse 36 and verse 38 and he brought them out after that that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. Speaking about coming out of Egypt, it says in Acts 7.38, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles, that is the Torah, to give unto us. The word church here is the Strong's number 1577. It is the Greek word ecclesia. And ecclesia means a called-out assembly. The corresponding word in Hebrew, if we look at a Jesenius, Ther's, Greek lexicon that is coded to the Strong's, it will tell you that the word ecclesia corresponds to the Hebrew kahal, as it was rendered in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew scriptures translated to Greek. And that being the case, there are three places in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 16, where we're told that the events at Mount Sinai is the day of the assembly is what it says in the King James. But the Hebrew word is kahal, which can be rendered into Greek, into English, the day of the church. So the church was actually born at Mount Sinai. In Genesis chapter 35, verses 10 and 11, we're going to see an occurrence of the word kahal and see how it's translated here. Genesis 35:10, And God said unto him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of you, and kings shall come out of your loins. Where it says a company of nations, it is the Hebrew word kahal, or A congregation or an assembly of nations shall come of your loins. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10 we can see where it is referred to as the events at Mount Sinai is the day of the kahal or the day of the Ecclesia or the church. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of fire in the day of the assembly. We are told in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4, that. Also, the events at Mount Sinai is the day of the kahal, the day of the church. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, in the day of the kahal, the day of the assembly, the day of the ecclesia, the day of the church. And the Lord gave them unto me. Finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 16, it says, According to all that you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb, that is Mount Sinai, in the day of the Cahal, the day of the Ecclesia, the day of the assembly, the day of the church, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore, that I die not the covenant at Mount Sinai was broken and in breaking the covenant the house of Jacob became an adulterous wife because of the breaking of the covenant the God of Israel didn't want to condemn his wife but he loved her so much and so deeply that he wanted to redeem her and so the events in Acts chapter 2 is actually the rebirth of the house of Jacob and this rebirth comes through the redemptive work of the Messiah and it is also a Torah based covenant it's the Torah written upon our hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit. What is the Renewed Covenant? Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31 it says, Behold the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. First of all notice that the new covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and then Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31 and says This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws, I will put my Torah in their hearts and write it in their minds, will I write them. So the new covenant is a Torah-based covenant. It's the Torah written upon our hearts. So the events at Mount Sinai are being renewed. We are told in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27... A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And notice what happens when he puts the spirit within us. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. The Holy Spirit points us to following Torah. What is the difference then between the original covenant and the renewed covenant? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 8, it says, For finding fault with them. Does it say he found fault with the covenant? If he found fault with the covenant, he would have to find fault with himself because he's the one that gave the covenant. He didn't find fault with himself. He didn't find fault with the covenant. He found fault with the people finding fault with them. And what is the them that he found fault with? Their heart. Because they had stony hearts. So it says, It was because ye found fault with them that it is said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The original covenant made at Mount Sinai, we're told that it is a Torah written upon a heart of stone, a stony heart. But the renewed covenant is a Torah written upon a heart of flesh. You see, you can't work with stone. It's hard to chisel and mold stone. But you can mold something that's soft with a soft heart. Once again, in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'm going to take away the stony heart. That's what he's taking away. He's not taking his Torah from us. He's taking the stony heart from us. And I will give you a heart of flesh. What is a stony heart? Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11 says, But they refused to hearken. They pulled away the shoulder. They stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as adamant stone, lest they should hear the Torah in the words which the Lord of hosts had sent in his spirit by the prophets. So a stony heart will not hear the Torah in the words which the Lord of hosts sent by his spirit. Now, let's relate and associate the stony heart to the parable of the sower. And let's link that with the events at Mount Sinai. Mark chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Hearken, behold, there went a sower to sow. And it came to pass, he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground. Now, are we actually talking about ground ground? We're actually talking about hearts. So some fell on stony hearts. Now look and see here what is the description of a stony heart. It says in Mark 6 it has no root and it withers away. So a stony heart doesn't have root. Then in Mark in chapter 4, verse 15, it says, And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. Where is it sown? In your heart. These are they by the wayside when they have heard, Satan comes immediately to take the word sown in their heart. And these are they which are sown on stony ground. When they have heard the word, they receive it with gladness. A stony heart will receive the word with gladness, but they don't have root and they only endure for a time. But afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake or to test the word that's in their heart that is when they become offended so let's see immediately they receive it with gladness what happened in exodus 19 verse 8 and all the people answered together and said all that the lord has spoken we will do they received it with gladness because in the hebrew it says we agree to do whatever you say before we even hear what you want us to do That's a good heart that you want to obey God so much that you'll say you'll obey Him even though you haven't heard what He wants you to do. But here's what happened. Afterward, affliction arose for the word that was in their hearts. Numbers chapter 14 verse 2 it says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in the wilderness. So when affliction and persecution came, they became offended. And so what happened? They didn't get to go into the promised land. The stony heart didn't get to go into the promised land. Only those that had another spirit went in the promised land. The problem with the stony heart is it can't overcome the sin nature which comes to us from Adam. But a heart of flesh loves the Torah... And a heart of flesh has the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we wrestle with the flesh. And ultimately, in wrestling, we are able to be overcomers. What is the new covenant? Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit... Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. This is what the God of Israel wanted from the beginning, a people that would love him and keep his commandments. And now he's providing a way for it to be so. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the renewed covenant? In John chapter 16 verse 13, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. He's the Spirit of truth, and He's got to guide you in truth. If the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He's got to guide you in truth, what is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is the truth. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of Torah. He's got to guide you in truth. He's got to point you to following Torah. Psalm 119, verse 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Yeshua said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, that is no Torah, and the truth following Torah will make you free. Well, didn't he say he was the truth? He's the living Torah. So if you're following him, you're following Torah because he's the truth, and the Torah is called truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. The role of the Holy Spirit in the renewed covenant is the Holy Spirit is given to give us the power to overcome the sin nature, which is the flesh or In Jewish thinking, they refer to it as the evil inclination. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. It gives us the ability to yield spiritual fruit in our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit and yielding to the, the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. And also, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us how to love Yeshua and keep His commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. The last thing we're going to look at in this teaching is the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is the Torah written on tablets of stone, Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give you tables of stones and a law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Mount Zion is the Torah written on hearts of flesh, from Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 a new heart will I give you a new spirit will I put within you I will take away the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh Mount Sinai is the Torah written by the finger of God Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 and he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony tables of stone written with the finger of God but Mount Zion is the Torah written by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Messiah ministered to us, written not by ink, not by the letter, not by man, but by the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Mount Sinai, with the incident of the golden calf, there were 3,000 that were slain. Exodus chapter 32, verses 27 and 28. He said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day 3,000 men. So because of the incident of the golden calf, Three thousand died, but at Mount Zion with the renewed covenant, we have three thousand that are saved or redeemed. In Acts chapter two verse one, when the day of Pentecost is fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then what happened? Acts chapter two verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were immersed, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. Mount Sinai is the letter of the Torah. In Deuteronomy 27:26, it says, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this Torah to do them, and all the people shall say amen. Mount Zion is the spirit of the Torah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, not the letter of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Mount Sinai is associated with the earthly Jerusalem. Exodus chapter 19 verse 11. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Paul is doing a midrash, an allegory of Mount Sinai, and he's saying Mount Sinai is associated with the earth. With the earthly Jerusalem. This is Hagar, which is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to the Jerusalem which now is. That's from Galatians chapter 4, verse 25. Mount Zion is the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 and 20. For you have not come unto the mount that might be touched and that might be burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, referring to Mount Sinai. But you've not come unto that one, but you've come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Now we need to see what happened. Historically, there was a progression from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and ultimately the destination was a united house of Jacob, ruling and reigning under David in Jerusalem, or Mount Zion. The journey to Mount Zion went through Mount Sinai. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it said, The Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all the household before our eyes. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse 23. And he brought us out from there, that is Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us a land which he swore to our fathers. What is the land that he swore to our fathers? Did he not promise the fathers the Messianic era? So ultimately, he brought us out so we would get to the Messianic era, which is Mount Zion. The redemption from worldwide captivity, the current exile. The Bible says when you're returning from this one, you come into Zion. That is the ultimate reason why he brought us out of Egypt. But the path was through Mount Sinai. David ruled over a united Israel from Jerusalem. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 3. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league With them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So they came out of Egypt, and ultimately their destination wasn't complete until they arrived in the promised land in Jerusalem, and David was king over them. And this is prophetic of Messiah ruling and reigning over the house of Jacob, ultimately in the Messianic era. In the present exile, the return from the present exile is the Mount Zion. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 14 and verse 18. Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and bring you to Zion. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 18. What is bringing you to Zion? It is this, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 18. In those days, in the days I bring it to Zion, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance to their fathers. He brought them out that I might give you the land swore to your fathers. We have a spiritual picture then of ultimately the reason of taking us out of Egypt, which is a type of the world and the world system. Spiritually, is to bring us to Zion, which is faith in Messiah, which is keeping his commandments, and being redeemed and returning back to the land of Israel and ruling and reigning in the earth. In Isaiah, in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Mount Zion is associated with the Messianic era. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." What is Mount Zion? It's the Torah written upon our heart. It's the end of the exile of the house of Jacob. It is Yeshua the Messiah teaching the Torah from Jerusalem during the Messianic era and it's ultimately associated with the heavenly Jerusalem. The whole purpose of creation, the purpose of taking us out of Egypt was the fulfillment of these things that we would know who the Messiah is. We would be a united people. We would be following the Torah and we'd be ruling and reigning with him. Let's summarize what we've learned in this teaching. The rabbis teach that the God of Israel married the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. The rabbis also teach in doing this that the house of Jacob is like an adulterous wife unto the God of Israel. In Acts chapter 7 verse 38, it refers to the church in the wilderness. And this word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It's associated with the Hebrew word kachal. The covenant at Mount Sinai was broken, and as a result, the kahal, or the Ecclesia or the church, or the house of Jacob, is redeemed and reborn in Acts and chapter 2. The new covenant, or the renewed covenant, is a Torah-based covenant. The original covenant is the Torah written upon a heart of stone. A heart of stone can't overcome the desires of the flesh and ultimately doesn't follow Torah. The renewed covenant is the Torah written upon a heart of flesh. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the true teacher of Torah. And the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the power, encouragement, and desire to follow Torah and allows us to be overcomers, which is the name and meaning of Israel. The God of Israel found fault with the hearts of his people. He didn't find fault with the Torah itself. From the parable of the sower, A stony heart receives the word with gladness. The enemy, Hasatan, comes to steal the word that is sown in our hearts. He doesn't want us to follow Torah. And a stony heart has no root. It only endures for a time. When affliction and persecution arises to test the Torah in our hearts, a stony heart becomes offended at the word that is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us a heart of flesh in the renewed covenant. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Truth is the Torah or the word of Yahweh. We are able to bear fruit in our lives for the kingdom of Yahweh through the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. King David ruling over united Israel from Jerusalem is the completion of the physical journey of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. It's a completion of that picture that was painted, which is a type and a shadow of something to come. King David ruling over united Israel from Jerusalem is Also, spiritually, a picture of Yeshua ruling and reigning from Jerusalem during the Messianic era. Our spiritual journey of leaving Egypt, which is the ways of the world and the world system, and accepting Yeshua as the Messiah, involves the Torah written upon our heart, this is the renewed covenant, and ruling and reigning with Yeshua during the Messianic era in the New Jerusalem. Spiritually, this is Mount Zion. Mount Zion spiritually is the Torah written upon our heart. It's the end of the exile of the house of Jacob. It is the house of Israel and the house of Judah being one at heart with each other, knowing who the Messiah is, following Torah, and Yeshua teaching the Torah from Jerusalem during the Messianic era. Mount Zion is also associated ultimately in the time of the new heavens and the new earth with the heavenly Jerusalem. I pray that this final teaching on Shavuot has been a blessing to you. We need to remind ourselves in being believers in Yeshua as the Messiah, what we are instructed in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that says... He abides in him. He who says he's a believer in Yeshua ought himself to walk, that is to live our lives as he walked. And how did he walk? He followed Torah. A believer in Yeshua as the Messiah should be expressing their faith by loving him and keeping his commandment which is associated with us coming to Mount Zion. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.